Exodus chapter 35. And Moses gathered the congregation of the children of Israel together. And he said to them, These are the words which the Lord commanded, that you shall do them. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day, a Sabbath day of rest to the Lord. And whosoever does any work on that day shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your habitation on the Sabbath day. Verses 1 through 3. So one of the strongest parts of the tradition of the Jews today remains the Sabbath day. And as we mentioned uh, last time, it's really a neat law. It was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And this is just God's gift to you. The Sabbath day, a day in which you do nothing. A day in which you just kick back and rest. A day in which you just lie around all day doing absolutely nothing. Not even kindling a fire. Just a day of total relaxation. You would be so much healthier mentally and physically if you would just take one day off and just cruise. Just nothing. Just totally relax. But we live in such a geared up society that I think, I might be able to last until about 11 o'clock in the morning, and then I would be climbing the walls. But we need to learn to relax more. We need to learn to just kick back without feeling guilty about it. You've got one day out of seven that God just wants you to kick back and totally relax. God has given it to you. It's God's gift to you. You can take it and enjoy it if you want. If you don't take it, it is not going to damn you or condemn you. That is the way that the Jews had misinterpreted this thing. If you dare do anything that violated the Sabbath day of tradition, then they were ready to really just wipe you out. But in reality, it is just a gift of God for you. And you would be much better <clears throat> you'd be much better off if you observed it. Not spiritually better off. It won't make you any more righteous than anybody else. But just physically, you would be a lot better off, mentally better off. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord, and whosoever is of willing heart, let him bring it, an offering of the Lord, gold, silver, and brass. Verses 4 and 5. So now he is commanded to take an offering, but there was one requirement. You could not give to God unless you did it with a willing heart. Now, Paul the Apostle in the New Testament tells us that when we give to God, that it should never be by constraint, but as every man has purposed in his own heart, so let him give, for God loves a cheerful giver, and literally a hilarious giver. Now, God doesn't want anything from you that you grudgingly give to him of money, time, or service. It is a tragic thing that the church has developed a program in which we pressure people into taking a job in the church. And so a person under pressure thinks, oh, I've, I've got to do this now, you know, and, and they say, oh, no, it's oh, this Sunday. I've got to go face those monsters again in that Sunday school class. I can't stand it. You know, and, and they're just griping and complaining about 
what they're doing for God. And quite frankly, they would be better off to not do it at all because God doesn't want any griping servants. You have signed up for a pledge, now you're short, and you think, oh, no, and you and you write out the check, and you're begrudging the check because you've pledged it. You're better not to give it. God doesn't want your giving to be by constraint, and yet churches create constraints upon giving. They create finance committees. They have their annual drive. They will come around and get your pledge and so forth, and they will give a little pressure. And the important people of the church are sitting there in your front room as you now have to determine before them how much you're going to support the church this year. I mean, you don't want to look like a cheapskate because these are important people. And after all, he is a superintendent of schools and this guy is a lawyer and, and all that. So you don't want to look like a cheapskate. And it is deliberately designed that way so that you will feel pressure to give more than you really want to. That is giving by constraint. God doesn't want it. He doesn't want you to oversubscribe. He wants you to purpose in your own heart what you want to give. Any giving to God must be willing and a willing gift on your part to really be a true gift to God. Anything else, God hates. God would rather you keep it. There's one thing that I can't stand, and that's someone to do something for me and then gripe and complain that they've done it. I would rather they just not do it at all. So people do something for God and then go around complaining about what they've done. Give to God and then complain about what they have given. No way. It always has to be of a willing heart. You have got to purpose in your own mind what you want to give. It is none of my business what you want to give, and it's none of your business what I want to give. It is something between you and God. And you and a willing heart give to God whatever you are willing and wanting to give, but never out of constraint and never out of pressure. And so that's the requirement of God. Put even under the law with a willing heart, let him bring it in, an offering to the Lord. You're not only to bring the gold, silver, and brass, but blue and purple and scarlet fine linen, goat's hair, ram skin, dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the lights, spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, stones to be set in the ephod for the breastplate, and every wise heart among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, his tent, his coverings, the tashes, the boards, the bars, the pillars, the sockets, the ark, the staves, the mercy seat, the veil of covering, the table, and the staves, the vessel, the showbread, and the candlesticks. Verses 6 through 14. The furnishings and so forth. And so, verse 21, And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whose spirit was made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle, of the congregation, and for all of his service, and for all the gar holy garments, they came, both men and women, as had a willing heart, and brought the bracelets, earrings, rings, and the tablets of jewels of gold, every man that offered an offering of gold to the Lord, verses 21 and 22. And so notice the giving. It was as a person's heart 
was stirred. And this is always the secret of true giving. As God stirs your heart, as God lays it upon your heart, and you're willing to give, so you should give to God, but never, never by constraint, never by pressure, never by begging. It cheapens God to beg people to support him. And the children of Israel brought the willing offering, verse 29, to the Lord. Every man and every woman whose heart was made willing to bring all the manner of work which the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri. He has filled him with the Spirit of God, wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship. Verses 29-31. So these talents and abilities given to him by God in craftsmen to devise all of these fancy works, the works of gold and silver and brass, the cutting of the stones to set them, the carving of wood, and he put it in his heart that he may teach both he and Holiab, them that he has filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and the cunning workman workmen to do the embroidery in blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen verses 34 through 35 chapter 36 so in chapter 36 then wrought Bezalel and Aholiab and wise-hearted in whom the Lord had put the wisdom and understanding to know how to work all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary. And Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise-hearted man in whose heart the Lord had put the wisdom, even everyone whose heart had stirred him up to come to do it. Verses 1 and 2. So again, it was God stirring the people's hearts to come and do the work. Every fellow that just felt, oh man, I would like to come down to work. God stirred their hearts. They came and worked and it was done. The work of God was done with willing hearts. The work of God is always accomplished through willing hearts. God stirs a person's heart to do something. And man, that's exciting to be around. A bunch of men whose hearts have been stirred up by God, where you don't have to be constantly pushing and pressuring and tugging them. The hardest thing in the world is to try to pastor a group where nobody's heart has been stirred and you're just constantly fighting it. But when you get with a bunch of guys and a bunch of people whose hearts have been stirred by the Lord, well, man, that's just like what happened here. You've got to put the brakes on, man. You've got to say, all right, all right, that's enough. We've got enough. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people have brought much more than enough for the service of the, of the work, which the Lord has commanded to make. And so Moses gave a commandment. They caused it to be proclaimed all throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing, verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> now, man, that's a real revival when you have to tell the people, All right, that's enough. Don't bring any more. That's, isn't that just neat? For the stuff that they had was sufficient for all the work they had to make. And actually, they had too much. So they began to make, first of all, the linen curtains that were to cover the tent. And then they began to make these goat's hair curtains that were to go over the top of the linen curtains that had 
all this fancy embroidery work on it. And then they made the ram skins that they had dyed red as the third covering over the top of the goat's hair. And then they made the boards and the sockets of silver that the boards set in to go around the perimeter of the tabernacle. And as you remember, it was 15 feet by 45 feet, and they made these 40 sockets of silver to set these gold overlaid acacia boards in. They made the bars that would run through the rings to hold them in an upright position. And in chapter 38, we are told that the amount of gold that was used in verse 24 for the work and all the work of the holy place, even the gold of the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels. So in reality, it was about $49 million worth of gold at $1,800 of uh, an ounce of gold used for the overlaying of the tables and making of the mercy seat and the cherubim and so forth. And the silver that was numbered among the congregation was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. So it was totaled out in, to the silver again down in the present price at about $3 million at the $26 per troy ounce. And so this was a beautiful, expensive little tabernacle that they were building for God, a little tent where they might meet God in the wilderness. And then in chapter 39, they began to make these garments for Aaron. And so we went over these last week. And so it's just sort of a repetition only now they are making it. They made the robe. They made the blue robe, then went over the linen robe. Then they made that little ephod, which is sort of an apron, and they made the breastplate. They made the golden girdle and the sash that went around the ephod. They carved out the names and the little onyx stones that held the ephod together at his shoulders. They made the mitre and the crown for the priest to wear. And in all these things, notice the end of verse 26, as the Lord commanded Moses. The end of verse 29, as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 31, as the Lord commanded Moses. 32, at the end, as the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. Verse 42, according to all the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel made all the work, and Moses did look upon all the work, and behold, they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Even so, they had done it, and Moses blessed them. So everything was done right, according to the blueprints, right as the Lord had ordered. Why? Why is this so important? Because these were all to be a model of the things in heaven. And so the Lord spoke to Moses in chapter 40, saying, On the first day of the first month shall you set up the tabernacle, the tent of the congregation, and you shall put inside the ark of the testimony and cover the ark with a veil. And you are to bring in the table and set it in its place with the candlesticks and the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony. Put the hanging on the door of the tabernacle. You shall set on the altar the burnt offering before the door and so forth. You shall set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water in it. And you shall set up the court round about and hang up the hanging at the court gate. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint 
the tabernacle and all that is in it, and you shall hallow it and all the vessels thereof, and it shall be holy. Verses 1 through 9. Now, the opening was to be, to be toward the east. You would first of all enter this outer courtyard, which had these curtains hanging all the way around. 75 by 150 feet courtyard with these curtains seven and a half feet high. And you would enter through this gate area of curtains on the east end. And as you came into the courtyard, the first thing you, that would be in front of you would be the altar of sacrifice. Seven and a half feet square on the top and four and a half feet high. And the fire would be there upon the altar for the roasting of the meat and the offering. Beyond the altar, there would be this brass laver in which the priests would bathe before they entered into this little 15-foot high tent enclosure. Now, all the way around this 15-foot high tent were these acacia boards that were about 27 inches wide overlaid with gold, 15 inches high, sort of set in sockets of silver and basically a tongue and groove into each other. Over the top of these golden-covered boards that were held upright by these golden rings and these golden overlaid sticks that went through the rings, holding them in an upright position. The first covering over it as you would go inside, of course, you see the gold walls, and then you would see the ceiling, the linen-colored, embroidered work of linen, the first covering over the top, the linen covering. Over the top of that, there would be a goat's hair covering, and over the top of that, there would be these ram skins that were dyed red. Over the top of that, the badger skins that were sort of a waterproof to keep this thing safe from the water. And as you would enter this gold-staved little building that was actually 45 feet long and 15 feet wide, you would be entering into it, also pulling back the curtain, entering it from the east. Now, over on your left-hand side, as you would enter into, enter there, you would be this would be this candle holder with seven candles, with the lights flickering in the top of it. The wick and the oil kept burning constantly. And over on your right-hand side, there would be this little low table of about three feet by 18 inches or so. And on the top, it was overlaid with gold. And you'd see the 12 loaves of bread sitting on this little table to the right. The loaves would be changed every week. Directly in front of you, there would be another beautifully embroidered curtain. This curtain having the cherubim embroidered on it, and in front of it, there would be a little golden altar with four horns on it. The altar of incense, where the priests would come and wave the little incense burners before this altar of incense and behind this curtain. And then you would enter into a room that was a 15-foot cube. Again, on the walls, on the sides, and on the back you would see just the gold of the overlaid acacia boards. Above your head again, you would see the fancy embroidered work of the fine linen, gold, purple, blue, and red, with the cherubim and all the embroidered on it. You would see in this room a little golden box with a golden lid, and upon the golden lid, there were these two golden cherubim that were carved there on the lid. And of course, you wouldn't see it because only the high priest could see that, and that only once a year. And thus you have an idea of the tabernacle where God met the people. And so the thing was made according to the plan that God had given. And now the time has come, really, for the anointing of the tabernacle. 
And in verse 9, you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. You shall hallow it and the vessels thereof shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all of those vessels sanctify the altar. There shall be an altar most holy. You shall anoint the laver, the brass laver with its foot and sanctify it. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the con tabernacle of the congregation and wash them there in that labor, that bathtub that was there. And you shall put upon Aaron the holy garments and anoint him and sanctify him that he may minister unto me in the priest office. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with coats and you shall anoint them as you did anoint their father. And they may minister to me in the priest office for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generation. And thus did Moses according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. Verses 9 through 17. So the second year they came out of Egypt and on the first month which was the celebration of when they came out because they came out on Passover. They raised up the tabernacle there in the wilderness and Moses reared up the tabernacle, fastening the sockets, setting up the boards and put the bars in it and reared up the pillars. Verses 18. Now there were four pillars that were across the front of the golden pillars and also on the inside before the Holy of Holies. And he spread abroad the tent or the tabernacle put the covering of the tent upon it as the Lord commanded him. He took and put the testimony in the ark. Verses 19 and 20. So the testimony would be the two little tables of stone which had been etched the Ten Commandments. They were put in the ark. And he put the mercy seat above it. He brought the ark into the tabernacle, set the veil of the covering, and covered the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded him. He put the table in the tent of the congregation on the side of the tabernacle northward, verses 20 and 22. He set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded him. He put the candlestick over against the table on the left side, the south side of the tabernacle. He lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded him. He put the golden altar in the tent before the veil, and there he began to burn the sweet incense on it. As the Lord commanded, he set up the hanging at the door of the tabernacle. That is the curtain that covered the front. And he put the altar of burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle, the tent of the congregation, and offered upon it the burnt offering and the meat offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar, and he put water in it to wash everything. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet at it. And they went into the tent of the congregation. And when they came near to the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle. That is that seven and a half foot curtain hanging in the court gates. So Moses finished the work. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud was abiding on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they journeyed not until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, the fire was on it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Verses 23 through 38. So you can imagine what they would it would be like as you're constantly reminded of the presence of God because the tabernacle was in the midst of the camp and the Israelites were encamped all around the tabernacle. And any night you could get up and look towards the tabernacle and you would see this fire of God hovering over that tabernacle. Man, that must have been awesome. You know, if you had insomnia, you could get up in the middle of the night and you could go take a walk towards the tabernacle and you'd see this fire of God's presence. During the day, looking towards the tabernacle, you would see this cloud resting there. And when the cloud would lift and move, then the people would go and fold the whole thing up and carry it off. And they would follow the cloud until it would stand still. They would set the tabernacle up. The cloud would come down and set upon the tabernacle. And so they were led through the 40 years in the wilderness constantly reminded of the presence of God as they looked at the tabernacle, the place of meeting. But I love that verse that declares the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Oh, man, you know, the heavens of heavens cannot contain God. But when you experience the presence of God, the glory of God filling the house, and man, my heart longs to experience more of the glory of God in my life. I would like to see us all just take off someday and just spend the day just waiting upon God, opening our hearts to him through worship and praise throughout the entire day. And just that we might see the glory of the Lord fill his house, fill his tabernacle, the place of meeting. This is the place where we come to meet God. Of course, we meet God everywhere we are now. But where, as the body is collectively, we come to meet God, and how glorious it would be to see the glory of the Lord just filling up the place where you congregate. Whew, man. Father, With Moses, we pray that we might see your glory. God, we pray that you will captivate our hearts with yourself, that we will become less interested in the glory of this world and more interested in the glory of God. Oh, Father, demonstrate your glory to your people. Let them experience, Lord, the glory of your presence during this next week. Oh God, draw us away from the world and draw us into yourself and bring us to yourself, Lord, in a special way. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. <laughs>